Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Neurodiverging Podcast. I'm Danielle Sullivan. I am your host, a certified life coach, an autistic person, and parent of two neurodivergent kids. I'm so happy you're here with us today. Today, I'm so excited to be interviewing Catherine Lund, who's an English novelist. She uses writing to explore her neurodivergent life. Catherine has a non-discrete functional neurological disorder, which presents with aspects of non-epileptic seizures, chronic pain, and problems with OCD, anxiety, depression, and other mental health issues. She has previous diagnoses and presentations of epilepsy and nonverbal Tourette's. Catherine's great fascination is the way we construct our worlds, from our stories to our physical spaces. Her undergraduate degree in archaeology and her postgraduate qualifications in medieval archaeology, education, and creative writing are part of this passion. Catherine's novel, The Things We Left Sleeping, is out now. And I'm going to be talking with Catherine all about her neurodivergent experience, her experience writing her book. And it's just a really great conversation. I'm really glad you're tuning in for it. Before we speak with Catherine, I just want to thank my patrons for supporting supporting this podcast. Thank you all so much. The podcast runs on patron donations. And if I didn't have y'all in my corner, we would not be able to produce these things. So thank you so much for being here with me. If you're interested, please check out patreon.com slash neurodiverging, where you can find out more about how to pledge to the neurodiverging podcast to keep us running, keep us going, get the transcriptions done, interview people and put all out all this good content for you. You'll also get some very excellent behind the scenes perks. The Patreon is patreon.com slash neurodiverging and pledges start at just a buck a month. And a quick plug for the website at neurodiverging.com where you can find articles about neurodivergent issues, full transcriptions of the podcast, a list of upcoming events I'm hosting, the vast majority of which are free or low cost. I do monthly webinars. I host support groups. I teach classes. So come join us. And now on to Catherine. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, Catherine, to the Neurodiverging Podcast. Thank you so much for being here with us today. How are you? <laughs> I'm really excited. Thank you for having me and for inviting me into your podcast and buy that into lots of people's homes, which is a very <laughs> exciting thought. 
I'm really excited to have you. We um, talk a lot because I'm an autistic person. We end up talking a lot about autism and ADHD on the podcast, but obviously neurodiverging is uh, meant to encompass many, many neurodivergent types and individuals. So I'm, I'm honestly really excited <laughs> to have somebody uh, who can kind of help us understand uh, different aspects of neurodivergent experience. So thanks so much for reaching out. No, that's so- okay. And that's what's really exciting for me because it's something that I've had for like 14 years now and, and I'm still trying to understand it. So if I'm struggling to understand it, obviously it's difficult then for other people who haven't really heard of it before or don't really know anything about it mm-hmm. to to understand it so that's part of what I want to do is you know tell people that this exists lots of people have it it's actually quite a common neurological condition it's just it's quite a complex one and it's a non-discrete one and there's lots of variation so just really give people that idea that it, it's out there and this is what it looks like this is how it presents this is what someone who has it looks like and, and does. Thank you. Yeah. And that's really part of my big goal too. I'm sure, you know, is just like giving us the opportunity to talk about ourselves and be better understood in the world. (laughs) So I'm just, I'm really excited. So I guess let's, let's like back up a little bit and could you, would you mind starting off just telling us a little bit about you and kind of what your, uh, how you would describe, I guess, your disabilities or neuro, neurodivergences. I can't English today. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I'm Catherine Lund. I'm 37. As you can tell from my accent, I'm English. I'm from the north of England. And I've been very lucky to do lots of really exciting things with my life. I've been to university. I've been to graduate school. I've worked in museums and heritage. I've done a little bit of teaching. I work in an arts and framing shop and This last year, I have become on the back of um, an MA that I've got an author. And also over about the last 14, 15 years, I've had problems with um, neurological difference, um, quite a strange and varied history of seizures, mental health problems. And that's what FND is. It's not a discrete siege it's not a discrete um, condition sorry it's not something like autism it's not something where there is even though there's a spectrum within those things they are a condition and you're going to present somewhere within that spectrum and you know you it's it's you you fall into almost categories of being with FND it's that you have lots of different presentations and they could come from lots of different conditions so you don't have enough of one thing to be put into a certain bracket so as you might be able to tell from when I'm speaking I quite often say the wrong word and lose my train of thought so apologies for that it's a really inconvenient thing when you're trying to explain something it's but, very you know, common on this podcast of... so <laughs> you're not alone in that <laughs> I of, um, so I've had epileptic seizures and non-epileptic seizures which are rather than having full convulsions you have mind absences you lose control of your limb if you drop things you throw things so I smashed a lot of cups I drop a lot of phones my phone at the moment that I'm speaking into is in one of those army cases so I went to the phone shop and I was like I need the sturdiest phone case that you have so I've got a very attractive sort of army style phone case on my phone and um, so memory problems OCD and associated with that as well just quite a lot of mental health programs so I've got a history of depression quite bad OCD uh, high anxiety disassociation um, tiredness lack of I call it sort of temporal spatial awareness. So someone can tell me that it's Wednesday and I know what Wednesday is, but it doesn't really like make a connection in my brain. So the best way I've had it described to me is that your computer's got all the tabs open and your, 
your um, your computer tower, your your hard drive is all there, but the connections in between the windows and in between the actual hardware of your computer, it's just not always firing right. Mm. So I've got FND. You could have somebody else come on the program with FND, and they could tell you, you know, a completely different range of symptoms, and might only have a few, which overlap and are the same as mine. Which is one of the things that makes it sort of difficult to deal with and to get accommodations for because you can say I've got FND and they're like great what have you got um and you sort of end up giving a list so um and I it's it's one of those things where it's been very bad in my life it's been so bad in my life that I've had to live at home I've had to rely on family I've you know been signed off work sick for four years you know right through to I've been back to university I have a job now I work four days a week I live independently I've bought my own house so it's one of those things that as well as having lots of different presentations and lots of different symptoms how bad you are with it can really go up and down Mm. through your life and it can start at any time so you can be born with it or like me you can be sort of tootling away till you're 18 19 and then suddenly you know it starts and presents yeah later on so what was it like because you were uh if I remember correctly you were you've been dyslexic your whole life right I have been dyslexic my whole life especially numerically dyslexic mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then so you had sort of one disability and then we're kind of hit with this whole host of additional ones later on in yeah. your teens. Is there what was like what was that like? Was the It was it was the thing is like when you're I think when you're a child and when you're a teenager, you don't you don't realise you're different. You don't know mm-hmm. that your brain works differently from other people's. You don't realise that other people don't go around like reciting little patterns in their heads and mm-hmm. touching things over and over. So I, I knew I was dyslexic. My mum, my mum who passed away about 14, 15 years ago now, but when I was little, she was a special, ed- need, special educational needs coordinator at a okay. primary school, which I think is the equivalent of real elementary schools. And so I always, I never had a statement. She's like, you're fine. You don't need one yet. You don't need one yet. You'll get to a point where what you can do and what you can't do will tip and you'll, yeah. you'll need your statement. But and I had a lot of OCD, um, but I didn't realise that the OCD was a problem. I just thought mm-hmm. that was how my brain worked. And it was only yeah. sort of when I got, when in my third year at university, I started having just really intense, sudden onset um, head pains, migraines, which I put down to stress. Everyone's like, oh, you're very, very stressed. You've got, you know, you've got your, um, see, the word. Those <laughs> things that you're handing in your third year at university that take a lot of writing. Essay, You know, the thesis. Things. Yeah, thesis. You have your okay. thesis. <laughs> thesis to hand in. I get halfway through sentences and just start doing that, just being like, I, yeah, I can't get the word out. I can't do the word. But again, <laughs> you sort of write it off. And I could, I could sort of cope with those things because they weren't overwhelming. It's a bit annoying to lose your train of thought, but it's not overwhelming. It was only when um, I was about 23, 24, and I was having this really strange week where I was watching things on the television, which I knew that I knew I'd watched them before, like programs, which I'd, you know, binge watched over and over again. Mm. And I'm like, I can't remember watching this program. I can't remember it. I don't know what these, and then suddenly it would snap back in and it would feel like I'm at one time zone inside my head and another time zone on the on the outside. And I'm like, oh man, I must be really, really tired this week. Mm-hmm. And then I just had a week of having constant seizures and I was in hospital, just constant seizures throughout the week. Mm. And then that was when it really, I think that's when my life really, really changed because from that time on, I have never not had a day when I don't have something present. Mm -hmm. So that pain or disassociation or strange sensations in my head, 
And for the first four years, just really being quite incapable. So had to move back home with my dad, would spend mm. most of my time asleep, couldn't work, couldn't think, couldn't cook, couldn't hold things, just crying all the time, not being able to think, really, really bad nightmares. Mm. And that, and it, it felt like an invasion. It felt like almost like a grief. I'd lost yeah. this person that I was because the person before, you know, she'd just finished uni. She was in her very early twenties. And uni had been great. I, had a, I did archaeology, which was a great course to do. It's really good fun. I picked it because I liked the university prospectus and archaeology was near the start of the prospectus. And I'm like, I'm going to do archaeology. That sounds really great. That sounds really good fun. I had done really well and I'd worked for my department and graduation near the top of my year. And I was really ambitious and I was going to go and do all this stuff. And then suddenly mm. I wasn't. I couldn't even yeah. get up. So it felt, it felt very much like a death in a way it felt like I I really lost the person that I was mm-hmm. and that really affected how I dealt with it I think for you know a good seven eight years because I was trying to fix myself I refused to believe that I wasn't going to get back yeah to be what I saw was as, as myself I was like no I was this person this has happened and now I'm going to get over this and I'm going to I'm going to go back and I'm going to fix this and I'm going to be back to being that person and that was a really, really difficult thing to to stop thinking and to get my head around and to be like, no, this is actually, this is how it's going to be. And rather than trying to fix it, I've got to learn to accommodate it. I've got to learn to function with it. Mm-hmm. I've got to learn to stop berating myself almost. Yeah. And that person's gone. So you can lose an, another 10 years or you can start dealing with the fact that this is what you've got and sort of move on from there but very much like a grief and very much like an invasion and very much like I've been knocked sideways from the life I absolutely was convinced I was going to have yeah onto one that I absolutely never thought that I would have and to be honest with you wouldn't choose I wouldn't choose to have this mm-hmm. as a condition I know for lots of people it feels like a part of them but I think for me because it comes with a lot of pain and a lot of difficulties and a lot yeah. of restrictions I would you know absolutely get rid of it and that can be a difficult thing to reconcile with because it feels like you're saying I'm not happy with myself mm-hmm. you know I want to I want to get rid of a part of myself and I know I want to get rid of the discomfort that I've got with yeah. part of myself and it, it, it was very difficult just getting my head around that for the first seven or eight years or so so and part of that is the timing of it it was my early 20s and everyone else mm-hmm. is getting married and buying houses and going on hen parties bachelor parties and I sort of like I turn up and go around I'm going to bed and it just felt like all these things were happening and it was just slipping by in this timeless merge that mm. I just had no connection to so I felt a little bit che- I felt quite a lot cheated actually quite a lot cheated yeah. at the timing of when this happened it just felt like a very unfair t- I would have liked mm. a few more years of being 20 <laughs> I think but everybody yeah. does everyone wants a few more years of being 21 I think it's a it's yeah. a good day. <laughs> it sounds like you were really lucky at university. I, um, my early twenties were kind of a hot mess, but there were definitely periods of my life where I would, I would like them back very much. So I think I can understand that, uh, yeah. that feeling a lot. How you said that, um, you know, there was this kind of huge period of grief and feeling like an alien has, has invaded and, and all this. And then that you sort of swung around to having, or feeling like you had to integrate this part of this new part of your yeah. life um, into yourself to make it work so you could move forward. What was that integration like? Like what were some of the things you did or or thought through to try to move forward from that kind of huge knockdown in your yeah. early 20s? Part, part of it was 
Part of it was just that that mental realization. I remember I was speaking to a counselor, so I've seen lots of different people to help me with this. I've had counselors and psychologists, and I've got a neuropsychologist at the moment. I've had neurologists. You know, I've had I've had the whole variety of people. But one of the most useful things that one of them said to me is, "Is why are you digging downwards?" Um, I don't, that's what I was doing. I was digging downwards. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not going to slip backwards. I, I'm 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 going to be this. And he's like, if you're not going anywhere you just mm -hmm. you are just putting yourself in a hole and I think I just needed somebody to to point that out to me so it was it was changing that way of thinking mm -hmm. it was also I've, I think because my condition's not discreet and because I have seen this whole range of people the sort of approach of sort of the medical professional side of it mm -hmm. has felt very alienated it's like I can see one person for this and one person for this and one person for this but none of it's coordinated yeah. and for a long time it felt like I was responsible for being ill because I wasn't seeing the right people and I wasn't seeing the right people because I wasn't asking for the right help and I wasn't mm -hmm. asking for the right help because I don't know what I need yeah. and it was like this big circular almost think of self-blame and really struggling because you know my neurologist would say you need to see a sleep specialist but I can't refer you and my general practitioner would say well I can't say to see a sleep specialist because you've got to have these leaflets first about not drinking caffeine and when you've done that I can give you some sleeping tablets and so it's not you know there, there was times when I luckily my dad because my because my mum died of cancer my dad joined the local sort of hospital boards and was a patient liaison so he's like no you absolutely can see a speech specialist you just need to fill in this one and this one and this one so I did I got to see people but only because I made a fuss about it mm -hmm. and part of I think part of the reason that I was able to move forward a little bit was like was by feeling that actually it's not my responsibility to make myself well mm -hmm. I have a perfect right to expect other people to shoulder a little bit of that for me so if something's not working it's not because I haven't done something it's either because it's not working it's not the right program for me it's not the right medication for me it's not the right medication combo for me it's it, it's something that's not working it's not something else that's not working because of me yeah. and, and that's a really easy thing to think sometimes because you're not working I'm not, I'm not working my mm. meds aren't working so that's my fault I'm not having the right reaction to these meds they told me they would work they're not working why aren't they working for me and I think part of it is, is it's been getting out of that mindset of, okay this isn't working fine mm. I've tried it I will try something else and not be afraid to say I want to try something else I've had this you know seeing a counsellor has really helped at times but I've got to the end of my 13 allotted weeks well I want another 13 weeks mm -hmm. actually and it's been brave enough to say that I want that and I need that and you're not being fussy and you're not being pushy you're not take if your leg hadn't fixed you'd say put the cast back on so yeah. why can't I say the equivalent so so part of it I think was, was that is that little changing in attitude and, and changing mindset that you're not you're not a problem and that those people are actually you know someone goes someone's a neurologist because they're interested in neurology they actually want you to turn up and tell them what's wrong they don't want you to think I'm not going to do that because I've already seen four neurologists and they've not <laughs> helped so you know just just go and see another one mm -hmm. and, and get them to help you yeah. so but I think sometimes you can't change the way that you think until you've sort of lived through it a bit because you mm -hmm. can't you can't tell yourself to think differently you've got to come to that realization of just no, no this this way of thinking is not working for me mm -hmm. but yeah let's let's just change it and let's 
you've kind of got to come to that yourself I think you can't be told and if someone told yeah. you you would find it really aggravating yes <laughs> you would find it really a very aggravating thing for them to say mm-hmm. yeah because it can feel reductionist I think sometimes for people to come in from outside and say you know well you're just not thinking about it the right way you know positive yeah. positive thinking and it's like no <laughs> I can't positive think myself out of this but to, no. to some degree you're also completely right that if, if the if you're digging the hole straight down you're never going to be able to dig it back yeah. up right um exactly so, and yeah like it's not even a question of thinking positively because at the same time it's like stop digging a hole downwards it doesn't mean that you're you're going to cure yourself it means yeah. that you're accepting that you're not going to cure yourself because all you're doing when you're digging down is going downwards yeah and even if you stop stay where you are and go forward you're not climbing back up well you, you've still changed direction you've yeah. still made that decision that you're going to try something different mm-hmm. yeah. so yeah yeah that's really interesting thank you for sharing all of that yeah. part of what you've had to learn to do then and especially since your condition kind of comprises so many different symptoms and is different from everybody else with your condition is you've had to learn how to ask for accommodations that yeah people can actually understand and hear and, and enable for you yeah. definitely because I mean I've tried going back to university twice to do a grad program and the first time which was probably about four or five years after I had those seizures it was absolutely disastrous it was mm-hmm. I think I lasted about eight months I just could not cope at all. And part of that was because I was still trying to prove that I could turn up and do this. Mm-hmm. I don't need help. I can turn up and do this because I've done it before. I know that I'm, academ- I'm good at academia. I like academia. This is where I'm comfortable. So I returned to my undergraduate university because I felt very safe there, very mm-hmm. confident there. And I thought, I don't need to ask for anything. But actually, it was only when I got there that I realised I can't cope in seminar rooms because there's one spectrum of light in the bulb and there's another spectrum of light on the interactive white screen Mm -hmm. and I can't control the temperature and I can't control the noise and uh, I can't control the commute so I'm really bad at getting on buses I'll be on them then I'll be thinking don't recognize where I am I don't know where I'm meant to get off it's Mm -hmm. a complete again dissociation and you know there, there was all these things that I discovered I couldn't do when I got there because I hadn't allowed myself to think what are the things that I might struggle with mm-hmm. and it got to the point where I just rang my dad at about midnight one night just an absolute flood of tears I'm like I can't do this come and get me come and get me right now mm-hmm. because I I've got to the point where I, I won't leave my flat I just cannot cope with the idea of opening the door and, and leaving my flat so it was actually quite detrimental it took me backwards mm-hmm. and then a few years ago I'm like, no, I'm going to do this again. And I'm going to do something different. I'm going to go to a completely different place. I'm going to do a different course. And I'm going to do it because I want to do the course and it, because it's interesting. But I'm also going to do it by, yeah, not being afraid and also not really being embarrassed to say yeah. what I want because some of the things can seem quite strange. So I did, I did creative writing. I did creative writing at Oxford Brooks, which is a small sort of, yeah, very, very small campus, university just on the outskirts of York. It does a lot of art and, and English and literature courses. So it was a really good choice. It was a small university. And we were in this you know, beautiful Victorian building that was just off campus. And it had a veranda around it. So after some lectures, I would literally open the windows and I would sit on the veranda rather than sit in the lecture room. So I could yeah. still hear and I could mm-hmm. still interact. I just wasn't in that room that I couldn't do. And I don't think I would have had the confidence to do that the first time I tried so it's about having that confidence to say 
I don't care if you think this is really, really strange. I'm actually going to sit outside. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I have a lot of, um, on, on bad days, I can have, you know, visual tics and um, spasms. And like I say, I throw things. And I'll just want to leave the room and go somewhere where I can control the environment and breathe and come back. And it's being brave enough and confident to say, if I'm doing that, don't ask me if I'm all right. Because mm-hmm. people want to ask if you're okay and if they can do something. And it's like, no, I'm not okay. But I'm managing how I'm not okay. And I just want to be able to exit the room and enter the room when I want to. Mm-hmm. And it's just about giving yourself, I think, those allowances that there's going to be things you can't cope with and that's okay. So I gave myself two years because I'm bad at timetable and scheduling and, you know, I can write off a week sometimes in the migraine. So if you're giving yourself a time pressure, that's not mm-hmm. going to help. So all these things that I'd learned from just doing it so wrong the first time. But my university was also really great as well. So I went to Good. I went to their student services, to the disability services, and said, I've got, these are the problems. So I went to the tech day in Freshers' Week and they got me a laptop and they downloaded all this really super, super tech onto it that I just could never have afforded if I'd done it on my own. <laughs> and it was so good that I've, I've only just stopped using that laptop. It's had mm. no G key for about two years. So I've written a whole novel without a G key. Like you really have to press it up and down. But like screen rulers, screen size, dictaphones, recording programs, mm. just anything that cuts down my screen time, yeah. um, that helps me to help me read, helps me read online. And I've stopped being conscious about having to use it. I think that's an important thing. I've stopped being mm-hmm. conscious about having to use things like that. And sometimes you ask for things and it's not useful and that's all right as well. If you've asked for something and you've tried it and it's not useful, you haven't wasted people's time. No. You've, you've tried it and it's not useful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But yeah, so some of the stuff I've had to do is quite strange. Like I got, a, it's a city university, so there's very limited parking space, but I said, I need a parking space. So I got a disability park parking permit mm-hmm. I put um, a blanket and a pillow in my car and if I wasn't coping I would literally go and lock myself in the car where the windows were tinted and I could control the temperature I could make it quiet I could make it dark yeah. and you know I'd lock myself in the car for four hours and then I'd go back to university mm-hmm. so yeah it's just about I think it's because I had more knowledge of what it was that I needed mm-hmm. which is quite a lot of control actually I need quite a lot yeah. of control of where I am and natural lighting I I can only cope with natural lighting so I'm like natural lighting only obviously so (laughs) big window is what I need I'm sure a small university helped with that or I hope it did because I went to a large school for undergraduate and it was artificial lighting the whole way like because it were you know 12 floor buildings and things and yeah in retrospect it was not good for me but at the at that time I didn't know I was autistic so I had no background to say this is why this is bothering me so it sounds like you've done not only uh that not only you figured out what accommodations to ask for and what to advocate for but also you've set boundaries around how people should interact with you when you're having when you need some breaks and you've also been able to sort of look at the expectations you had for like kind of what what normal people do and and just throw some of those out the window and say well these are not expectations for me these are for you know people without this condition yeah Yeah, exactly and I think that's something that everyone should do for themselves anyway you know whether they've got a disability got something that affects them or not your boundaries are your boundaries and you should only be trying to do something for the right reasons so that first time I had completely the wrong reasons I was trying to prove something and Mm -hmm. if you're trying to prove something like that you're going to fail anyway something's going to fail you because you're going to you're going to fall short of that standard of 
try, trying to live up to what you think you should be. That's, mm -hmm. a, that's a really difficult thing to do. Um, but just going a bit more with the flow and just going with a bit more of, I'm doing this because it's something that I'm good at. I'm doing this because I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just setting better mental expectations because you don't want the fact that you've got out of bed to be an achievement, but actually sometimes the fact that you've got out of bed is, is an achievement is. and you should, let, you should let yourself have it. Yeah. Um, so being a bit, lots of people say it, just being that little bit kinder to yourself that, you know, something that other people might find a really simple thing to do, like get the bus to campus. Mm -hmm. For you isn't so you're gonna you're gonna walk for an hour and a half because you're not gonna get that bus mm -hmm. so you're putting more into that commute before yeah. you even got there and just but saying oh okay but I can actually walk and that is a you know people there's people that can't do that there's people that won't be able to have that option and I've got that option so turning it around a little bit and looking like well look at that I have got a way of doing that mm -hmm. that's something that I can do yeah that's really helpful. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, I know you just published your first book. Is that right? It just, it came I out. Have. It's coming out. It came out, it came out in May. And Yay. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you. And, um. Yeah, it's one of those things where, and I'm sure other people experience this as well. You, you know, you go to see a neurologist, you go to see a specialist, and they say, describe, describe what, describe how you're feeling, describe what it feels like. And I'm like, I can't describe what it feels like because the thing that I've got to describe this with is my brain, and my brain isn't working. My brain is what's broken. <laughs> so how, how can I describe to you what my brain is doing when my brain isn't working? But you get asked it over and over again, and it's so so frustrating. And of course, I was doing a creative writing course and I was looking at this piece of blank paper and I'm like, that is just my mind. My mind is this piece of blank paper. So I drew um, a picture on it and it was the picture of a face made up of words and it, it was made up of the word face. So it's a face drawn of the word face. And I'm like, that is what it's like when I look in the mirror and I don't recognise that that's me. Mm -hmm. I know that that's a face. I know that I have a face that I can't connect the two. I have a lot of problems with facial recognition. You know, I remember one time walking into my sister's bar when she was running a bar and I'm like, that's my sister. I have a sister, but no connection in between the two that the person I'm looking at, that, you know, that's Alison, that's, that's her. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at this face and I'm like, well, that, that's what it's like. It's like you're a blank page and you've got a picture made up of a word, but you've not got the face. So I started doing more of these. And then from that, really sort of the book, came from those images so it's the story of a 
girl called Evie who has had a sequence of seizures. She's walking up in this strange landscape and she's trying to rebuild her consciousness in it. So she's starting off with these very simple word pictures and she's going all the way through. She's notebooking. She's being set tasks by this rather sinister sounding narrator to doing this notebook. And she's working all the way through and gradually she's taking back the narrative from the narrator until it's her book and until she's fully writing this narrative because what of course she's getting back is she's getting back her advocacy and her ability to use her language to describe what's going on in her head and describe her feelings around her but I think the most useful thing I found about it was that I was able to show in the book that my brain isn't a linear thing at the moment it doesn't have a narration that starts and finishes it's constantly interrupted and it's stopped because I've got limitations so um, the book actually has a second narrative in it which is the world outside of Evie's head and that's her friend Stevie and her family and they're sort of running side by side but they can't connect together yeah because that's what disassociation feels like it feels like you're you know you're here on the left hand page and everybody else is on the right hand page and it's a different tempo and it's a different almost a different feel to the language and you just can't come together so even when both sides of the book are both talking about the same thing they're not connecting yeah. and then it's interspersed with medical notes and it's a bit like a choose your own adventure for neurological illness really so you have to decide how you're going to read it and which bits you're going to read and you've got to backtrack on yourself so it sounds when I say that really really complicated but it's I didn't want to tell people that it's hard sometimes with the neurological illness I wanted to show people what it's like to experience mm -hmm. that neurological illness so sometimes you've got to turn the book around because you feel like you don't fit into the world right so your narration's going the opposite way to the world and you've got to backtrack and you get interrupted and you can't connect with people mm -hmm. but the whole point of the story is that you do move forward so even though she's struggling in this book she is moving forward she is trying to get to this place where she's going to wake up and she is going to end up back in the real world and she is going to end up more clicked in and more dialed in so it was I didn't know I was going to do that when I started writing the book but it was something that came about because of what I was experiencing and just this frustration of people asking me what is it what is it like what is it like mm. and I'm like well it's like this it's it's like it's constantly snowing in my head and I've got pins and needles and it's cold and I feel cold even when it's sunny so there's lots of snow in the book and it's it's yeah it's that it's that way of saying well it's like this and it's quite difficult mm -hmm. but it does also feel worthwhile to keep going yeah. and that's the other important bit of the book it's worthwhile to keep going and even though I've lost not Evie in the book she loses a lot of herself she's at this farm and she's got she's got nothing you know she's in a completely barren snow-filled landscape but what she finds as she goes forward is she has things that she's quite happy to let go because they're not part of her person anymore but she has fundamental things about herself which she really isn't going to let go of she's got memories that she's she's going to try really hard to keep she's got her family out there in the real world that she she is going to want to get back to because they're important and that's what I found that there's things where I'm like I'm going to let those go because mm. they're gone and there's other things that I'm, I'm not going to let those go I'm not I'm going to absolutely refuse to let those go and I'm going to keep trying to have them because they're important so yeah. I think it's book about what's important as you as you try and what's important as you as you journey forwards.
and sometimes sideways and sometimes the other way around (laughs) in the book yeah that's really interesting so how identity kind of forms and reforms throughout your life and I I love the idea of how I mean a lot of times the the most basic way we describe neurodiversity right is that our brains go in different directions we think in different ways and I love that that can be practically seen in a book where you're you're actually having to turn it or you're actually having to change the page yeah. and that you're almost making neurodivergent or your neurodivergent brain accessible to folks who don't have one it's, it's like a nice little yeah. inverse it's really interesting thanks for yeah that's, that. I think that's what I wanted to do I wanted to be like well this is this is what it's like and, and here you go and this is it on the page yeah. and, and take it and have it and you know there's there's no right or wrong way of, of interacting with it as a book Mm-hmm. And you can take from it what you want. You can treat it like a love story. You can treat it like a healing story. You can treat it like a, like I said, like a choose your own adventure. You can you can take from it what you want. Yeah. But while you're doing that, you know, have that experience of this is this is what it's like. This is what it's like for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And what was the process of writing the book actually like for you in terms of your own disabilities? <laughs> because were you like with the memory issues and stuff, like were you able to sort of do the traditional sit there and write a book kind of thing? No, that you... <laughs> I, I think it's interesting that um, like the one thing that I found that I was still okay with mm-hmm. was I've always loved writing. I've always loved reading. I've always loved writing. That's always been like, the thing that I really liked. I sort of dropped it in my late teens when I went to university because I wanted to do something really different mm-hmm. and never really came back to it I wasn't having any success with it I was finding it quite frustrating I'm like you know what it's just it's just a fun thing and I'm not really going to go near it but that night when I was really really ill and I phoned my dad and said come home I couldn't mm-hmm. sleep I had really bad insomnia and I just got my laptop out and I just I wrote something I wrote a short story and I sent it off and it won a competition it won me 500 pounds which was like the most money I'd had since I got ill and I was like this seems to be this seems to be one of those things that is very very deeply rooted in me and that's what is strange about neurological disorders that one of the things I couldn't do at university was that I couldn't structure an essay Mm -hmm. I couldn't work out how to structure an essay I couldn't start it I couldn't do a cohesive argument but I could I could write a piece of creative writing and quite what the distinction is in my brain with that, I don't know. Yeah. And when and I wrote when I came to approach the book, I actually wrote I wrote it in quite an odd way. So I was doing these pictures. I'd started mapping out the idea that, you know, there was these two girls and they were side by side and they were journeying towards each other. And I actually wrote it as a fairy story. So I wrote mm-hmm. a fairy story about uh, you know these two characters and one of them was cursed and the other one was trying to journey to undo the curse for her and she was meeting all the other characters that were actually in the book and then I sort of had that as a reference point so as I was writing I was looking at this strange fairy story which was full of things like labyrinth maps and and all sorts and I think that was my way of structuring the story so even though it wasn't really a story structure it was lots of strange pictures and little poems stuck together and you know, strange conversations between talking birds. That was enough for my mind to to hook onto and sort of guide 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 me through. And then at the time, I had an agent for it, a very very good agent in London who was so helpful. And he's like, right, so now what you need to do is you need to get rid of all of these fairy story references mm. and sort of yeah, sort of divorce it from that because that is your that's your structure, but it's not something that the reader mm-hmm. needs to see. So that was sort of how I planned it out but the, the most difficult thing for me is that I will start writing 
And then, you know, suddenly it's, it's 12 hours later and I spent all day looking at a screen and not really noticed it. Yeah. And then that's me for the next three days mm-hmm. is, you know, I've got a migraine. I don't feel very well. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a long process when you struggle with the equipment. But I can't handwrite it because I'm dyslexic and my handwriting's appalling. So I can't mm-hmm. handwrite it. Screenwriting's difficult. There's no way I'm speaking it out loud because I can't. You know, I, it's almost like I need to be typing to process the thought. Yeah. So the, the most difficult thing was actually looking at the screen mm-hmm. and having that screen time. It's really, really difficult. And it's one of the other reasons why the book is a physical book, mm-hmm. um, which I know might sound strange when it's a book which is sort of trying to share the idea of accessibility with people and, and experience. But I can't experience things on screen. So mm-hmm. I've written a book where you have to experience it on paper. Yeah. And if anyone has any ideas at all how to how to turn something with multiple directions and narratives and stuff into an audiobook or into something that makes it accessible for other people, you know, that that's great. But, you know, t- tell me how to do it because I don't know. <laughs> but um, for me, it's a physical book because that's how I interact with words. Mm-hmm. And that is where I don't struggle. I, I, can't, I don't have a Kindle. I can't read online. And so, yeah, so the, the screen part was, was the really difficult part for me. Yeah. So, and you mentioned just a minute ago your, your dyslexia. And I was wondering about since you've had some neurodivergences since your early youth and then some came on later, does, does the sort of, I guess, the, the difficulties of dyslexia, did they sort of integrate with everything else or are they sort of stacked? Do you know what I mean? Like, do you have different concerns with those different sets of traits? Or are they all I think, together? <laughs> I think I think they're sort of all together. Yeah. I'm at the point I'm at the point with my dyslexia where I mainly find it amusing. So it's it's something that like I'll completely misread adverts and think they say exactly the opposite of what they're doing. I'm like, that's a really strange image to link with those words. I'm like, oh gosh, gosh you've just completely mm-hmm. not read that that word right. But I think it I mean I think it it fits in quite well with what I have because quite mm-hmm. a lot of what I have is a sort of inability to interpret the world properly which is what a lot of neuro well not properly but that you know on a par with everybody yeah, else in the same, yeah in, in, in the same way so it, it sort of feels like it fits quite well really <laughs> it's just it's just another way that my my brain isn't quite seeing things the same as everybody else and I mean luckily for me I mean I'm really bad at maths and you know, I shouldn't say that because I work in a job which involves measuring things, but mm. practical math is all right. But any any yeah. sort of abstract maths, absolutely not. But that's where my dyslexia is worse. Whereas mm. with things like reading and writing, it, I've got appalling handwriting. I can't spell. So the grammar bit was also really, really difficult. And mm. thankfully, my lovely editors and the lovely proofreaders at my publishers, which is Atmosphere, you know, they, they took it away and they fixed it. Yeah. And I was like, I'm really sorry. I still don't, mm-hmm. I still can't do commas and apostrophes. I get, I get mixed up with that. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think everybody does, but I think a lot of people do too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think, yeah, it, it just sort of, it fits in because all, all it gives me, I can read very, very fast. I can skim read very, very fast. Mm-hmm. And I think actually dyslexia actually helps that because you're not as committed to reading the whole world, the yeah. whole word. Your brain is literally scanning and giving you suggestions mm-hmm. and you know 
seven of those suggestions will be right and three will be absolutely ridiculous but on balance by the end of the page yeah. you've got the idea so I think it actually started to help me in a way because you know I can I can do a novel in a night and I think it's because quite a lot of my brain is just going yeah we get the general gist we get the general mm -hmm. gist we get the general gist it sounds like you're not appreciating the actual language of the book but it it, and you know I'm very lucky because some people's dyslexia it makes it very difficult for them to read mm -hmm. so again, again it's that thing that everyone's everyone's slightly different with the condition that they have and the way that mine presents actually fits in quite well with what I with what I do when I write mm -hmm. it gives me that chance to you know proofread very quickly and look through changes very quickly mm -hmm. I just absolutely cannot proofread and edit my own work mm -hmm. for things like spellings yeah that's just that's never going to happen yeah that's, thank you. That's really interesting. I, I also, not being dyslexic myself, we've had a couple of other guests who are dyslexic, and I'm always so interested to hear how it presents for different folks, because it does seem like there's so many, so many differences, and that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Your book is? Um, it's called The Things We Left Sleeping, and it's published by Atmosphere Press, who are um, an American publisher, so thank you very much, America, when the UK <laughs> had absolutely zero interest in publishing my book, America came through for me, so... Um, One good thing we've done in the past hundred years. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. Um, yeah, so I've got a website. It's .uk. Um, You can link to it through my Instagram, which is author. Same handle for Twitter. Um, or just put me into Barnes & Noble or Amazon or you know any big online retailer and I'll, I'll pop up when I'm there. And, what? you know, it's it's not been out very long, so if anyone's out there, honest reviews always welcome. Give it a read. Give an honest review on something help spread the word. It's always really appreciated. Wonderful, thank you. So um, if you check the show notes below, listeners, I will have all the links to all of Catherine's things. So go follow on social media. Go read the book. <laughs> support. Yeah. Thank you. So and much if you for follow me on social media, there's an occasional picture of my two house rabbits. So if that <gasps> isn't a bonus, bonus for you, <laughs> bonus fun is if you follow me on any of my social media accounts. So there you are. I, I don't know how else to bribe people into following me, but you, you'll get an occasional bunny picture. I, I don't know what more you want. If people need more bribes than bunny pictures, I, I don't know <laughs> that the human race has any chance of survival. So. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. I really, really appreciate it. No, thank, thank you. you. I was so I was so excited when I came across your podcast, and I was like, "Yeah, other people want to talk about this as well and hear about it." Because I think my friends are quite sick of me telling them. And another thing about oh no, <laughs> we will never be sick of it. I I think I can speak for a lot of my listeners and myself, obviously. When I, I just I want to talk about neurodiversity till the cows come home. I will be here as long as I can manage it. Because <laughs> it's so interesting. Well, thank you. No, thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Neurodiverging Podcast. I hope you loved this interview as much as I did. If you are interested, please check out Catherine's links, which are below, and check out her novel, The Things We Left Sleeping, which is out now anywhere that you can shop for books, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Bookshop, all the good places. Um, I know she would love your support, and it's a fascinating text really um, and if you like this podcast please consider pledging monthly at patreon.com slash neurodiverging to support us in our work or throw a couple of bucks into the paypal jar at paypal.me slash neurodiverging thank you so much for being here with me and please remember we are all in this together
Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad-approved, Dadages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgins. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Dadages. That's D-A-D-A-G-E-S, wherever you listen to your podcasts.